like to welcome each of you who are with us visiting tonight. We know we have a number of young people visiting with us for the TABS program. Uh, we'll be having our normal worship service as each of the congregations do, and then you'll be having events afterward. But each of the lessons that have been assigned this year have been assigned for the various purposes of trying to talk about people who are turning or have turned their lives around in hopes that maybe young people can realize they can turn their lives around as well. Some of you may know that I had planned to preach on some lessons uh, that were of favorite Bible passages, but I will tell you I found out last Sunday afternoon that I was going to be preaching this lesson tonight, so uh, this is a rather hurriedly assembled lesson, but hopefully one that will be beneficial. You know, when you look in the Bible, you can find some people who turn their lives from being sinful to the pursuit of sacred things. There are people who, in their lives, you look and you see that what they're pursuing are bad things, bad for them, and then they all of a sudden realize the value of the spiritual things. Also, you will find some people who have been slackers, and that's the best word I could think of to describe them, and turned into people who became servants. People, I think particularly of John Mark, when Paul and Barnabas carried him on their missionary journey, and when they got to Perga and Pamphylia, he decided, I want to go home. I, this is not for me. But later he became very useful for the ministry. He became a great servant. The key in both cases, whether it's turning from sin to the sacred or turning from being a slacker to being a servant, requires a change of mind. It requires some repentance, and that's what the word repentance means. In fact, in James 4, verse 17, we learn, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. If you know what you need to do and you're not doing it, it's sinful. In Ezekiel 18 and verse 30, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord. God, repent and uh, turn from your, all your transgressions so your iniquity will not be your ruin. Make sure that you change what's wrong in your life so it doesn't ruin you. This evening's lesson is going to only have two points to it. Uh, I can't help but monkey with a title that's given to me. And uh, Steve gave me the title from the man whose answer was no to a man, i got to do it. So I changed it from one who offered excuses to the one who became an expert. And uh, so that's what we're going to pursue in our lesson tonight. And I'm going to ask that you open your Bibles with me to the book of Exodus to chapter 3, and we want to begin with verse 7. And what we want to do is we begin to look at Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. We're going to see the excuses that Moses gives at God's call. Let's look at, first of all, the call that God gave Moses. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up from that land 
to a good and a large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Pezzarites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I want you to visualize in your mind God speaking to Moses and saying, I've called you. I've chosen you to be the one to go and speak with Pharaoh. I've chosen you to be the leader of my people. I think as we go through this lesson, you're going to begin to uh, understand why God had chosen Moses to do this. But Moses responded to God's command with five excuses. And they're going to be found in Exodus chapters 3 and 4. And here's what the five excuses are. We're going to look at them individually. The first one is, who am I? Why did you choose me? Number two, what shall I say? I don't know what I need to say to them. Number three, what if they won't listen to me? What if they won't believe me? Number four is, I am not eloquent. I can't speak well. And then number five, the worst of all of them is, please send somebody else. I don't want to do the job, send somebody else. Well, let's look at these five excuses of Moses and see how it is that he didn't want to do the job that God gave him to do. Let's look at verse 11 in this context. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God, why did you choose me? There's all these people that you could have chosen. Now you've got to remember who Moses is and where Moses has been. He went from a position of prestige and power to a position of poverty and persecution. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 says. In Hebrews 11, beginning with verse 24, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the, all the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as one seeing him who was invisible. Now you think with just a moment what verse 24 says. He was called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That means that when he, up until the time he became of age, he was reared by Pharaoh's daughter. That means that he would have had all the training of the Egyptians. That means he would have had all of the money, all of the physical possessions that he could have ever wanted in this life, power and prestige. We don't know. Perhaps he could have even had some claim to the throne of Egypt during this period of time. 
But it says, He chose rather to suffer affliction. He chose the persecution. He chose the poverty among God's people because He looked at the value of things. But now, you may not realize it, but when He gets His call, He's an 80-year-old man. He is in the land of Midian, bordering on the area which we know as Sinai. He's now at Mount Horeb when God appears to him and calls him. If you have in your mind this call coming to a young fellow, maybe 20, 30 years old, you're way off time-wise. He's 80 years old. In fact, in Acts 7 and verse 23 Stephen said, "For now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And when 40 years had passed, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. You go back to Exodus 3, verse 1, the passage that introduces this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Oh, now, folks, I want you to understand, he's not even in Egypt. He's been in Midian. Now he's just come to the edge of the desert. He's come to Mount Sinai. And God says, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to go there as an 80-year-old man and lead my people out. And Moses is saying, who am I? Sometimes young people, when they are placed in a challenge and they're given a call of a responsibility, they say, I'm just insignificant. I don't have any importance. I don't, I'm not able to do the job. Sometimes older people say, well, you know, I'm a little bit worn out. I am not capable of doing the job anymore. Two passages of Scripture I think are very valuable here. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, when God called Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. I think it's also interesting that if you look at the three segments of the life of Moses, First 40 years in Egypt, next 40 years away from Egypt, and then the next 40 years leading the children of Israel out. When he died at 120 years of age, Deuteronomy 34, 7 says, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his vigor diminished. That means he was still a stout man able to see. But God's reply to him was, I will be with you. I am with you. Chapter 3, verse 12. I will certainly be with you, and this will be a sign that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. Moses, you're going to lead them out. And he says, you're going to lead them right back to this place. He didn't tell him right now, but he said, that's where you're going to get the law as well. We have to all realize that we have some influence. In Romans 14 and verse 7, none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. 
There's no one of us that do not have some kind of influence. Whether you're young, you're old, you have influence on somebody. And when we say, who am I? For Moses, I am the one whom God gave this responsibility. Who am I? I am one who is a part of the Lord's kingdom, and I have a job, I have a role, I have an obligation to perform. But now the second of Moses' excuses was, what shall I say? Look at verse 13 with me. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, they will say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? He says, I know you're going to send me, but when I get there, what do I say to them? They're going to ask me, what's your name? Have you ever thought about what God's name is? We sometimes call it Jehovah. Now we know a little bit better about the vowel points, and it's pronounced now Yahweh. But that word has a meaning. But when they ask, what is his name? They were really questioning, who sent you? In whose name do you come? You know, we've talked about, when we studied the New Testament, passages like Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.19. And whatever you do, verse 17 of Colossians 3, and word indeed do all in the name, do it all by his authority. You may ask the question, well, why would Moses be so hesitant to go and say that he is doing this in God's name? I want to go back to Acts 7 for just a moment. I think you might get a little hint of understanding here. Now, this is Moses. One of his brethren is fighting against an Egyptian. And it says, seeing one of them suffer wrong... He defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. Stop there at verse 25. Here he is, he defends a man against an Egyptian, and he thinks people will understand God's going to use me. He's 40 years old when that happens. Verse 26, And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting. And he tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you judge, ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian where he had two sons. You see, Moses stood up at 40 years of age and said, I am going to try to lead my people, but they don't accept me. They don't understand what I'm trying to do. Forty years later, God says, okay, Moses, go back. And Moses said, who am I going to say sent me. They're going to ask me, what's his name? What name are you doing this in? 
It's all about a thus saith the Lord. It's all about authority. And when it comes to what you and I might say, you know what God expects out of us? 1 Peter 4 and verse 11, If anyone speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. You see, it's not my message, it's not your message. It's God's message that gives it its power and its authority. In 1 Peter 3.15, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, being ready always to answer, give a defense to everyone who asks the reason of hope that is within you, yet with meekness and fear. You always respond with, this is what God says. Number three, they won't believe me. Look at chapter 4 in verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. Moses is concerned now, just like he's saying, You know, they're not going to listen to me. What am I going to say? Who am I? And God is saying, Moses, I'm going to handle that. I'm going to give you three proofs. Three things that you can do to prove to these people I have sent you. Three miracles. Let's read verses 2 through 9. So the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground. And it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. That last phrase, verse Three is really true. Moses fled from it. You throw a stick on the ground and it becomes a snake and I'm going to run from it too. I think most of you would. Then he has to have a lot of faith because then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. That's his first proof. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. And behold, his hand was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be if they do not believe you nor hear heed the message of the first sign, that they will believe the message of the latter sign. And if it will be that if they do not believe these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river, pour it on the dry land, the water which you take from the river will become blood on dry land. Three proofs. The rod to the serpent, a hand to become leprosy, and the water to turn to blood. The truth is, men today still want some kind of proof. They want to say, you say you believe in God, you say you believe in the Bible, you're telling me to change my life, to repent. I want some proof. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day, utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. 
There's no speech, nor language, nor voice where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone throughout all the earth, and he has set their words to the end of the world. And then he has set a tabernacle for the sun. What David is saying in such eloquent words is, look at the universe that God has created. There's proof that there's a God. In Romans 1, 20 through 22, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And then John 20, verses 30 and 31 And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You have the proof of nature. You have the proof of the credible testimony of those who saw Jesus work the miracles. But then he says, number four, Lord, I'm not eloquent. Look at verse 10. Then Moses says to the Lord, O Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither before since you have spoken to your servant, but I am of a slow speech and a slow tongue. That means that he must have been from the south. No. Moses did not speak well. Not everyone is an Apollos. You do know who Apollos is in the New Testament, don't you? Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria. Alexandria of Egypt was the center of learning at that time. An eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures came to Ephesus. Not everybody has the gift of of speaking in spell-binding words. But that's okay. Talent in speaking is not everything. Sometimes you will find people whose words are smooth as butter. And by their smooth words and fair speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. You see, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 6, Paul said, Even though I'm untrained in speech, yet I'm not in knowledge. Chapter 10, verse 10, For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. They didn't think Paul could speak. Paul said, I may not have the greatest speaking ability, but I know what is true. We need to keep before our minds that the key important thing is not how well you speak but is in what you say. And when Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 he put it like this but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. What is important is not the preacher who preaches the message. What is important is the message that is preached. God made man. He knew Moses. He knew Moses' frailties. And God was able to use them. So the Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? 
Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what to say. Moses, that excuse won't work. Number five, which is really not an excuse but a cop-out. It's saying, Lord, I know you don't like my excuses, so here's what I want you to do. The New King James reads, but he said, O Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. That's really sort of written in the syntax or the way the literal words read. But what they mean is captured by the Holman Christian Standard Bible when it says, Moses said, Lord, or please, Lord, send someone else. Choose someone else's hand to carry this. Please choose somebody else. I don't want to do it. Up to this point, God has addressed the points that Moses is making. Lord, who am I? What am I going to say? What if they don't believe me? And then he gets to this point, he says, Lord, I don't want to do it. And that's when God gets angry. Look at the first part of verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Moses doing the same thing that Jonah did. God said, Jonah, go to the Ninevites. And Jonah got on a ship going to Tarshish, went the other direction. Moses said, Lord, I don't want to do it. I want you to contrast that with people like Isaiah. Isaiah 6 and verse 8. I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, Lord. Send me. I'll do it. I'll go. When you start looking at the Great Commission, sometimes people are waiting for God to say, okay, I want you to go, and I want you to do this. No, God's message is pretty certain and pretty clear to us. We need somebody to go. Christians are supposed to go. You're a Christian, so you go. And Jeremiah 48.10, the American Standard reading says, Cursed be who he who doeth the work of Jehovah negligently. Lord, you're there and you decided, I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to be negligent in it. How often do we beg off of something simply because we don't want to do it? I feel sorry for Brother Don Griffith every once in a while. Not often, but every once in a while. He's trying to schedule teachers. Somebody says, well, who am I? Don, I can't do that. What am I going to teach? Well, you'll teach the Bible. Well, Don, I'm not eloquent. Oh, you can do a good job. I believe in you. Can you get somebody else? Can you get somebody else? Folks, Moses was a man full of excuses. Now, let's look at the 180. Let's look at the turn that took place from Exodus chapters 3 and 4 to who Moses became. He became, as far as men, an unparalleled leader. This one who who complained about what he couldn't do, listen to Exodus 14 verse 31. Then Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, 
So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Moses is respected now. Deuteronomy chapter 34 verse 10. As you get to the end of the book of Deuteronomy. But since there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. No one else stands in that same place that Moses does. Look what he became. Hebrews 3 and verse 5. When it's trying to explain to us how great Jesus was... Who do you think they compared him to? To Moses. And in Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards. When you want to talk about a great leader of the Old Testament, you bring Moses up because he led anywhere from three to six million people out of that Egyptian bondage through the wilderness, whining, griping, complaining, and moaning for 40 years. Is there any one of us who think we could accomplish half of that? In Numbers chapter 12, there's a complaint by Miriam and Aaron with regards to Moses. And Moses could have taken strong offense to their complaints But we read in verse 3, Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. He had a humble leader who was a servant. He wasn't there to try to gain glory and power. Drop down to verse 6. Then he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him by a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, not in dark saying, and he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? He became a great leader. God can use people with deficiencies to become leaders because these people have learned to depend on God and not depend on themselves. That's what made Moses a perfect leader. That's what made him an expert leader. From the excuses that he offered to now he has become an expert in God's kingdom. Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I love this passage from the book of Isaiah chapter 40. He gives power to the weak. And to those who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You say, I am not capable. God says, I can take you and raise you up and use you. Consider the turnaround in the life of Moses from an excuse maker to an effective leader. You see, he did a 180. 
But never forget that we're dependent upon God's help. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And while Moses made his mistakes, he was still faithful to God. But you know what made Moses stand out? He made that decision early in life. I want to go back and finish our lesson with Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share affliction, suffer affliction with the people of God, than to enjoy the passive pleasures of sin. Do you see, when he became of age, he understood the difference between what's right and what's wrong. Some of you young people here tonight need to understand, you may have reached that age in life where you're able to make the choice for yourself. Mom and Daddy are not making that choice for you. No one else is going to come up and say, okay, let me make that decision for you. It's a decision you make for yourself. Am I going to serve God or am I going to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin? Well, see, verse 26 tells you something about Moses. He was able to see past the here and the now because it says, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked to the reward. He was able to keep his mind focused toward eternity. Tonight, if you need to become a Christian, be restored to faithfulness, we're going to sing an invitation song, and we plead with you, we urge you, if you need to respond, please come together as we stand and sing.